0: You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, joined today by Suhas Schreeder. Suhas, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Matt? Doing well, Suhas. And looking forward to today's conversation, because I think this is a topic that's important to you and to me and to a lot of people that pay attention to the fashion industry in particular, but with some lessons that apply really for many people in supply chain. Um, Suhas, do you want to tell us a little bit about Fashion Revolution Day? Sure. So, Fashion
1: Revolution Week is this week. Fashion Revolution Day was this past Monday, April 24th. Fashion Revolution takes place every April 24th because that is the anniversary of the Rana Plaza factory collapse in Dhaka, Bangladesh, back in 2013, which was a horrific incident, catastrophic loss of life. And the fashion industry and the consumer base created this movement called Fashion Revolution in response to that event. And the idea is to focus on transparency in the supply chain. So the common hashtag that's associated with Fashion Revolution is, who made my clothes? And millions of consumers all around the world have asked their favorite brands to answer that question, who made my clothes? And it's this ongoing pressure to raise awareness to conditions in the fashion and apparel supply chain.
0: We're in a world where fashion moves very fast. It's very much in the moment. And the way that clothes are made really doesn't have a lot of transparency. It's kind of a known known right? Where a lot of these companies, they outsource to different countries or different regions and different factories, really, in order to move quickly, to move at low cost, and to be able to compete with some of their other brands, and of course with these consumers who are driving the push for new and current clothing, as fast as possible. There were brands involved in the initial disaster at Rana Plaza that really didn't know necessarily that their clothing was made there. And some even made statements to that effect as well. Is this fairly common in the industry?
1: Yeah, the apparel industry is probably the farthest thing from vertically integrated that you can get. It's not only that they don't own their factories and that their factories are outsourced, those factories that they outsource to then outsource to other factories, right? So you have this chain of multiple tiers of suppliers. And even within those sub chains, there isn't always transparency. The third tier supplier might not know who the first tier supplier is, right? And so it's a complicated problem. And this is what has happened as a result of, you know, the larger changes to the global economy, right? The fact that Clothes are made internationally and sold into various markets. And by and large, transportation around the world has been pretty easy to get clothes from one place to another. So it's convenient for companies to do this. The issue, though, is now consumers are not satisfied with that. People want to make sure that there are ethical and sustainable considerations that are baked into the production of their clothes. And so now that consumers care about it, These brands have to take ownership and responsibility in some ways to being able to deliver that. And so now you're in an interesting state where the supply chain is very diverse. It's very distributed, yet at the same time now the brands have to ensure quality and ethical behavior throughout it for companies that they don't even own. So that's a hard problem, and that's a very interesting supply chain problem that exists today.
0: It really is. Now, you and I have talked about this at length, either on this podcast or just shooting ideas around what clothes we like or what brands are interesting right now. And, you know, we're pretty well informed with the products that we buy. And I think that we're probably of a market that, because of that, can identify those brands that do know Where their things are made, or can tell you the factory where, say, a pair of pants was cut and sewn, and the mills where that fabric was created, and can kind of show you a little bit more depth into how something's made, why it costs what it does, and set certain expectations around transparency. But by and large, those tend to be pretty small brands, right? They're internet-based a lot of times, or, or they're startups that created their entire business around this idea of transparency. But the brands that we're talking about, the ones that are using these big and complex supply chains, they realize that they're producing clothes at scale, having that much transparency and and going into the suppliers or, or being able to identify who your suppliers are. Is that even possible?
1: Yeah, this is an interesting point as well. You look at companies like Everlane, who have grown quite a lot since the time that they've existed, but at the same time are small when you compare them to Nike or Adidas or any of those other established brands, right, in terms of scale. Those companies are starting from, the sort of they have a late mover advantage in that they started with the idea of transparency and transparent sourcing, and then they can grow their product lines from there. If you're a large brand that's already in many markets and you have to serve that level of scale, how do you actually ensure transparency when you've already established these supply chains? This is not an easy problem to solve. One of the common things that has been suggested is to do audits in factories, right? So, you know, one of the things that brands would do is send inspectors random inspections, make sure that the conditions are okay. Again, that's a little bit hard to scale it's also hard to ensure that outside of that inspection conditions are okay and i think now the conversation is shifting a little bit from just having audits to how do you actually have more of a ongoing clear relationship with your suppliers and their suppliers and this is where the idea of transparency is really taking root where you accept the fact that there is going to be this level of depth in the supply chain with multiple tiers of suppliers. And that's okay, but you need to have some visibility into what they're doing and who they are at the very least, right? So that way, there's some accountability. Now, that's where information and technology and communication come into play. Because if you look at different technology solutions for business problems like order collaboration or supplier collaboration all of those things they're not explicitly designed for transparency and sustainability and ethical production but what they do as a consequence of what their business function is is to link these partners together so that at least you know who's involved right so if you create an order you know where that order is going to go and you can follow it you can trace it that's the first step, I think, is to know exactly what your supply chain is doing. And then once you have that information, there will be multiple ways to kind of ensure the, the level of ethical behavior and sustainability that you need to satisfy consumers. But it's a multi-stage process. There's no silver bullet right now.
0: Is there a benefit if you're a supplier and you're engaging with, say, a big brand like Levi's that outsources a lot of production of a pair of pants around the world to kind of work within that type of framework. Yeah. So one of the elements
1: of technology solutions to these supply chain issues that comes into play for sustainability for suppliers is this idea of supplier financing, right? And suppliers, one of the reasons that conditions can often get so bad in their factories is simply because they don't have the money to shore up their buildings, to ensure that the workers get you know, decent conditions. And it's life is actually hard for some of these suppliers in developing countries because they don't get access to capital. They have high capital costs as far as infrastructure goes. And often the way that buyers interact with suppliers, they get extended payment terms. So even when an order is fulfilled, the buyer doesn't have to pay for 90 days or 120 days or whatever it is. So there's this constant cash flow problem, which makes the situation worse. Now, in the case of Levi's, for instance, they actually used technology along with relationships with financial institutions like the IFC to ensure sustainability by giving their suppliers money. So as a supplier in the Levi's IFC program meets Levi's sustainability conditions and they have a whole terms of engagement where you basically benchmark sustainability and ethical production against a set of standards. As they meet those conditions, their financing rates from the IFC actually improve. And that's one way of using something that, again, finance is not something that you immediately think of when you think of transparency and ethical production, but it is an innovative way to ensure some of that behavior through finance and through the technologies that exist today. And that's a great example because, again, That's attacking the problem from one side, and there's multiple sides that you need to attack it from, but there are concrete actions you can start taking already. We don't have to wait for that silver bullet to come about. This is something that people can be proactive about today.
0: And that in itself is pretty revolutionary. All of a sudden, because of those financial incentives, it seems that those suppliers might not cut corners, or they might want to treat their employees a little bit better, or be a little bit more open about their own processes. So that is actually one way of making a difference. In a large scale, when you're talking about some of the other big names out there, fast fashion or slow, you know, it seems like when you have a day like Fashion Revolution Day, there's a lot of surface level activity. The discussion is around, you know, hashtag who made my clothes, and maybe a factory is getting involved a little bit. And certainly, you know, a brand's marketing effort around that too. But how do you really start to make a difference? Or how can a brand really start to make a difference? You've kind of alluded to some of this, but what would be a first step to making meaningful moves within the supply chain?
1: So one of the nice things that the fashion revolution organization puts out is a fashion transparency index, and it ranks a bunch of major clothing brands on their transparency across a variety of categories. And I think it behooves a lot of brands to see where they rank, right? Because the first thing is to solving this problem is to evaluate where you are honestly. And certain fast fashion brands actually rank fairly highly. H&M is known to be a major fast fashion brand and ranks among the highest regarding transparency. But that's because they also prioritized it since the Rana Plaza accident to try to make efforts throughout their supply chain. I think once you know where you rank, you can start to evaluate where the gaps are. The transparency index actually goes into different categories, such as visibility and collaboration and all of those different aspects of the supply chain. And you can start to address those. Again, I think it'll be an opportunity to be creative as far as the solutions go, because there are existing technologies that solve business problems, which then, you know, those business problems might be independent of the actual ethical and sustainable production requirement, but they can be used to help it. And so you're, you're sort of killing two birds with one stone if you do it right. And I think that's an advantage for everybody involved. But one of the things that I can say for sure is that this trend is going to accelerate and continue to grow as the years go on. There are lots of studies about millennial shoppers and what they care about. Everyone that you talk to indicates that millennial shoppers are more concerned about quality and some of these ethical production values than they care about messaging or brands or cool mobile sites or anything like that. So there's going to be consumer pressure. There's going to be market pressure. As the supply chain itself becomes a strategic advantage, competitive advantage for companies, there's going to be that efficiency and cost pressure. So I think everything is moving in that direction. It's just, it's up to brands to recognize that this is something that they need to address. And then they can find creative opportunities to address multiple things, perhaps through a couple pieces of technology, and then iterate from there.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Suhas. Indeed, we are in a consumer-driven world, but it does seem that some brands out there recognize this and that there are ways to be creative about solving problems of knowing who your suppliers are and their suppliers, while also benefiting the business at the end of the day. As far as fashion revolution, where can we learn more about this initiative or how to get involved?
1: Yeah, so fashionrevolution.org is a great place to start because they have a link to a lot of their campaigns as well as the fashion transparency index that they publish, which is a great place for businesses to start. The hashtag who made my clothes on Twitter, it has been used by millions of people around the world. So that's a great place to get information about the movement in general and the latest updates on it.
0: Great. Well, thanks for joining Suhas, And this has been some great information around Fashion Revolution Day and week and some of the really meaningful initiatives that are happening in supply chain to make a difference. Thanks, Matt. All right. You heard it here. This is another episode of Supply Chain Radio. Be sure to find us on your favorite podcast network. If you have any news tips or requests for us, go ahead and send an email to scr.podcast at info.com. We'll see you next week.